we as Christians now, when we say cross and crucifixion, because we're, in a sense, we're so retrospective, we're looking back to an event that happens with Jesus on Calvary. And so when we hear cross, crucifixion, um, we're, we our minds go back as far as Jesus often. But like I said, his disciples don't have that image yet, ex- except to the allusions to it in, in Scripture. What they have is real people <laughs> that they've seen, maybe even that they've known, who have been crucified on Roman crosses, and they've seen it growing up. It's it's part of their uh, it's part of what they've witnessed as people living in the world. Well, hello and welcome back to Deep in Christ. I'm your host, John Mark Grodi, here at the Coming Home Network International, bringing to you another discussion about this, our daily task of growing in imitation of and relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks again for being here. Hey, it's a new year. It's a new year. It's 2022. I've got a new green sweatshirt that I got for Christmas, and I am very happy to introduce to you a new face here at the Coming Home Network, here on this show, a guy I want to introduce you to today for this discussion. Before we get to that, I just want to remind you that um, this is a production of the Coming Home Network International, which is a network of people who have come to embrace the Catholic Church uh, as the church that Christ uh, established. Uh, we're a network of converts as well as people who are thinking about becoming Catholic. And if that describes you, hey, this is your network. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to walk with you. Uh, and on this show, we'd love to share this discipleship journey, whatever stage of the journey you might be on. We want to talk about Jesus here. Right, Kenny? Yes, we do. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Happy New Year, by the way, and nice sweater. Thank you, sir. I got, I got, Thank mine. You. Appreciate I got it. mine for Christmas, too. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so, so friends, Kenny Burchard is the, the new uh, Director of Development here at the Coming Home Network International, and he is a convert and a convert pastor. And Kenny, why don't you, why don't you give us the, 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 uh, just a bit of your background, your story, why, why it makes sense that you are here at the Coming Home Network International. Absolutely. Thank you, John Mark. Yeah, um, I, as you said, I'm a, a convert to the Catholic Church. We came in to full communion on Easter Vigil or at Easter Vigil in 2019. My wife, Mary Jo, our son Victor, who's now 19, and I all came in together, you know, after about a year of discernment. But before that, obviously, we used the language of journey. So we were we were on a journey for a while, which really began in, in 2018 in earnest, uh, where we were seriously investigating the claims of the Catholic Church and beginning to get involved in parish life and and even reaching out to and being helped by the Coming Home Network uh, as part of our journey. And uh, so over the course of a year, came into full communion in 2019 and have just been um, looking for ways to get more involved in what God is doing uh, in this whole larger movement where guys like me, former Protestant pastors, myself, 20 years as a, a, a Protestant Pentecostal evangelical pastor, 12 of those as a senior pastor, seminary trained, guys like that coming into the Catholic Church and uh, found the Coming Home Network, you know, on our journey. 
And of course now, as of uh, November 1st, on staff and with the team at the Coming Home Network and uh, just helping expand this um, mission, this ministry to reach more guys like us and girls, you know, guys and girls who are on this journey. So that's yeah. the, sh the short story. That's the short bit of it. Good stuff. And it's, it's great to have you here at the Coming Home Network, Kenny. We've really enjoyed working together so far. And I'm, I'm really excited that you're you're here, too, on this show. You can start to, again, share bits more of your journey. But uh, you had uh, an idea that you shared with me a couple weeks ago about uh, a topic we could explore. And as we as we discussed it, it really became clear, oh, boy, we could follow this, this thread for a while. We want to talk about the cross and discipleship. Give us a little sense of where we're going to go with this study. Yeah, so um, the, the cross and discipleship, and, and really those two words go together, don't they, in, in the New Testament, beginning with Jesus himself, who in all the Gospels um, throw the, throws those words together uh, before he even talks about his own crucifixion, which he starts pretty early talking about. He talks about discipleship and the cross or each person's cross as the way to understand what discipleship actually is. And so he mm -hmm. uses this language, uh, if anyone would come after me or if anyone would be my disciple, he must, she must, they must pick up their cross and follow me. So he's giving, and we can call it a cruciform um, way or a cross-shaped way of understanding discipleship, and so yeah, which is mm -hmm. sorry, it's it's wild. I mean, you did you did point that out the other day to me, and I hadn't realized that. Yeah, he he uses the cross image, the cross language, even before his crucifixion. But of course, that yes. that shouldn't be too surprising for us. I mean, there's even prefigurements of that in the Old Testament. We have yes. the, 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 you know, the snake, the bronze serpent raised up on that, on that cross. So it shouldn't surprise us that the Holy Spirit has worked with the scripture writers to, to point ahead to this, this ultimate symbol that will come to represent and describe what life in Christ really means, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one of the things um, in, in kind of the ramp up to, to talking about this together, that uh, that we discussed is that, you know, like all things with the disciples, it takes them a while to figure it out. <laughs> and so, you know, you see initially in the, in the Gospels that when Jesus begins talking about his own death and, and specifically crucifixion, he, he lets that cat out of the bag at some point along the way that that's how it's going to happen. They're not, they're not getting this. Um, but yet that's the image, that's the symbol, and that's the, the reality that Jesus chooses for himself. But he also chooses that as the, the, um, the image of discipleship that he gives to us. And, you know, I've thought about that quite a lot over the years. Even before I became Catholic, I started thinking about the cross a lot. Um, because when I would read these texts about discipleship, I, I would think to myself, well, there's more to the cross maybe than I've heard or that I've understood or even that I've taught right. other people. And early in his ministry, Jesus gives the image of crucifixion to his disciples as a way of understanding discipleship. And yeah. the, the crazy thing about that is that Jesus hasn't been crucified yet. Like you said, there, there are 
hints yeah. and shadows of it in the Old Testament. But it's an image that they do understand already. And I was thinking uh, even today that in, in one of the Gospels, Jesus is on the way, it says, he's on the way to Caesarea Philippi with his disciples. And that's where he asks, well, who do men say that I am? And then they talk about who he is. And then right after that, he says, um, if anyone wants to be my disciple, uh, let them take up their, their cross every day and follow me. And I was thinking, you know, those, imagine Jesus is asking, who do men say that I am? We have to use our imagination a little bit. Who do men say I am? Some say this, some say that. You're the Christ. And they're walking along a Roman road. They're walking along a road between two cities. And, and those are places where Romans would crucify people and leave them along roads. So whether it's true or not, the disciples of Jesus had likely seen crucifixions and crucified people many times over the course of their lives before Jesus had ever died on the cross. So when Jesus points out um, the image of crucifixion as the model of discipleship, they already have a real picture of what that looks like in their minds. They're thinking about the crucifixions that they've already seen and witnessed and some of the imagery that goes along with that, which we can unpack together today. Yeah. Yeah, that's, again, it's, it's just a very wild thought here. And we, it's, a, it's an appropriate topic for us for so many reasons, obviously for this show, because we're talking about the, the nature of discipleship um, that remains no matter where we are with relationship to the Catholic Church mm-hmm. or you know the, the, the broken family of Christianity that we're in. That we, we all, we've come to know Christ and our daily task is to be disciples. And then we, mm-hmm. we are called to unity. So we, we got to work out this, this stuff, you know, and we're, we're here to, mm-hmm. to share the truth and beauty of the Catholic Church. Um, but the daily task of discipleship is the same. But also this topic, it's significant too, because many people who come to the Catholic Church, right, what are some of the things they see? Well, they mm-hmm. see the crucifix. Yes. They see, they see a, a bloody, um, violent, image that yes. we as Catholics keep front and center. And that's sometimes one of these either unspoken or unspoken questions of, of why is that so prominent? What What is mm-hmm. the big deal there about keeping not just mm-hmm. the cross, but but the cross and Christ's sacrifice on the cross front and center? Like, isn't mm-hmm. the cross behind us? Haven't we put that behind us? We're resurrection people now, right? There's that question of what is this, the, the enduring significance of the crucifixion of the cross, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it is really the if you know, I was talking to my son about this this morning, it is the image if we're gonna if we're gonna rank images that are um, that stand for what the Catholic Church wants me to know, wants me to see, wants right. me to be thinking about. And I'm gonna go I'm gonna go in my image box, you know, full of Catholic images. And I'm going to pull one out and say, which goes in the number one spot? Like, I'm going, to, I'm going to rank them. The number one spot, it's going to be a crucifix. It's going to be right. um, Jesus dying for us on the cross. Not the only image, but certainly right. the first. And, and I think that that's right because, again, it's the image of discipleship that, that Jesus gives in the New Testament uh, and, you know, when I was not a Catholic, when I was a Protestant for 
for a good chunk of the time, um, I would say even before I was a pastor and well into my time pastoring, I would repeat that refrain that maybe many Protestants have heard, that we don't have crucifixes in our church because, like you said, we're resurrection people. And and Jesus isn't on the cross anymore. I would say things like that. He's not on the cross. He's in heaven at the right hand of God. And, you know, in my tradition, we would clap and say amen if someone said something we agreed with. So I could get lots of amens if I said Jesus isn't on the cross anymore. But so when you go into a Catholic church, like when you go into my parish, uh, St. John the Apostle here in Virginia Beach, and you walk straight into the the church, um, into the, the worship space, the sanctuary, you have a big image of Jesus on the cross there. Well, why are we doing that? You know, why are we, why are we featuring that image? And it's because, it, well, there's so many reasons, which we'll, we'll get to unpack, but it is the image of what Jesus is calling us to be. And again, I said the cruciform shape of discipleship. Um, the Catholic Church wants me to think about that image as the way that I can become like Jesus. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be like me, there is a cross. There's your cross. And some of the gospel writers use the language of his cross or her cross or their cross. And, um, and so somehow I need the cross. And in fact, the Bible, like I've said this to some of my friends, if you don't like crucifixes, then you're not going to like the Bible because there are, if you will, literary crucifixes all through the Bible in the Psalms. Yes. Like you said, the bronze serpent. Um, you know, there are literary crucifixes that feature Jesus dying on a cross in the Bible. It's, it's reading the words forces you to imagine a crucified man. And one of the most interesting texts is um, in Galatians, and I'd never seen this before I became a Catholic, but it says, um, he says something like, Paul says something like, before your eyes, or isn't it true that before your eyes, Jesus was presented as having been crucified? Right. Before your eyes, Jesus was presented as having been crucified. And I was like, well, what did they, did they do a drama in, in Galatia? <laughs> what, what was it? And honestly, yeah. it made me think maybe they had a crucifix in the Galatian church. I don't know, but, but Paul is yeah. saying, you've seen a public, you have with your own eyes, you have seen an image of Jesus being crucified. And he's trying to, you know, mm. kind of tear them away from, from their false spiritual approach to the cruciform uh, idea that they that they began with, and so the Catholic Church, you know, keeping to that that ethos, that heart, makes sure that before our eyes, as followers of Jesus, especially in the in the Catholic Church, before our eyes, Jesus is publicly presented as having been crucified. And um, and so we keep, you know, the crucifix ar around all the time. When I was a Protestant, I didn't have a crucifix. I didn't like them. Um, I, I think I was taught not to like them. But I did start thinking about 
the cross and the crucifixion more, I would say, toward the end of my time pastoring our church than I, than I had in the years preceding and even started incorporating cross talk and cross language more in my own sense of discipleship and how I worked with others. And that kind of is what inspired, um, you know, the, the ramp up to these discussions. It's like, let's unpack what it means to be disciples with the cross and especially the crucifix, um, with that image guiding the way, showing us how to follow Jesus. And there are a lot of ways yeah. uh, that that can happen. Yeah, I'm excited for that. And you, you made me think a moment ago about, yeah, what I mean, we, we'll dig into the reasons, we'll dig into some different applications. But yeah, that, that thought even of without the baggage, when we look at the, the crucifix, you know, the, there's so much there. I, I, mm-hmm. I, my, my son, David, who is just a toddler still, you know, when we put him to bed at night, we go up to the crucifix. And at this point, he doesn't know the theology, he doesn't know all the reasons, but he does know who Jesus is. And he does know that on the cross, Jesus is suffering. Mm-hmm. And in his small, well, his big heart, but his as yet unfully formed mind, he yes. gets a sense of compassion there, and we give Jesus a kiss before he goes to bed. Mm-hmm. So, again, the, in, in the image there, we have suffering, we have sacrifice, we have we have we are moved to compassion, we're moved to intrigue, you know, about this person. Mm-hmm. Um, just one other funny story when my. My parents became Catholic, and so we were new to all the Catholic stuff. I don't remember this, but I'm told that when we attended our our first Corpus Christi service, which is the wait, no, not no, no, the Feast of the Cross, one of the feast days where we venerate the Holy Cross. I, I, I'm told that as a toddler, as a new Catholic, I I accepted the invitation to kiss the cross rather generously there in front of the congregation, <laughs> rather effusively. I took right to the new Catholic practice that I was being introduced to. So. Yeah, but I, I'm excited to see where this goes. So, yeah, yeah. What, what, what's next? Where do you want to start with this? Yeah, I think yeah. going back to maybe this way, dropping down, if we could, into the world of Jesus walking along the road to Caesarea Philippi with his disciples, where he begins talking about the, the cross as that symbol of, of discipleship. And what images would that call to mind for them? And and what's embedded in those images? If I can, I'll, I'll just yeah. I'll just run away with it right now. If that's all right, sounds great. Go for it. Yeah. So again, like I said, the disciples aren't strangers to crucifixion and crosses. There, it's if if you will, it's part of the landscape of their lives already. We as Christians now, when we say cross and crucifixion, because we're, in a sense, we're so retrospective, we're looking back to an event that happens with Jesus on Calvary. And so when we hear cross, crucifixion, um, we're, we our minds go back as far as Jesus often. But like I said, his disciples don't have that image yet, ex- except to the allusions to it in, in Scripture. What they have is real people <laughs> that they've seen, maybe even that they've known, who have been crucified on Roman crosses, and they've seen it growing up. It's it's part of their 
uh, it's part of what they've witnessed as people living in the world. Kind of like you and I would say, well, I've driven by that sign and I've driven by that building and I, I've dri- I drove by there when there was a fire one time. You know, uh, a disciple of Jesus or a follower of Jesus might say, yeah, I've seen a crucifixion. I've seen somebody dying on a cross. So I already know what that looks like. So they have that image, that cognitive framework is already part of their worldview, if you will. And they've seen mm-hmm. the pieces of it, what what happens um, before the crucifixion, during the crucifixion, and maybe even after the person has died. They've seen the whole picture. And what is that? Well, we have the, the crucifixion of Jesus to help us with it, um, to give to give us all the pieces. Um, and And so what you have there, um, and again, this is all about discipleship. So following Jesus somehow is cruciform or it's shaped like crucifixion and what happens in crucifixion. So the first thing that you have is you have, um, you have a condemned man, right? So Jesus is condemned by the worldly authorities, Pilate, you know, um, and his death is asked for by the crowds, crucify him, crucify him. So you have condemnation in that sense. The person is sentenced to death. Uh, they are uh, handed over to Roman soldiers to be scourged, punished physically, beaten up, um, whipped, punched, all the things that happened to Jesus when he was sentenced to death. And then you have him shamed publicly in front of everyone and then brought out so that the whole world can see him and a cross beam, a beam of wood, is placed on him. And then he goes on a death march, basically, from the, the place of, uh, of that condemnation, of that sentencing, to the place of his death. Now, what's happening on that death march is that the, the condemned person is following. He becomes a follower. <laughs> Whatever, maybe he was trying to get a following before. Um, like, and often that's what Rome would use crucifixion um, for, for people who were trying to get others to follow them instead of Caesar. And so, right. so they would basically reverse, you know, who's following who here. Uh, So now this condemned man is following. This is the language of Jesus. If you want to follow me, they are following a Roman soldier. And that Roman soldier is saying, follow me. And where you're following that Roman soldier to is up to a place of crucifixion and death. And what happens to the condemned person is that their whole life is transferred into the hands of that Roman soldier. Um, and, and in a sense, that person now belongs to that Roman soldier and has to do whatever he says, and including give up his own life. He can't do anything anymore. He's, his life is whatever grain of it he thought he had left to belong to himself is all taken away from him and transferred to the will, the volition, the commands of the Roman soldier who's now driving him uh, forward. And then his, he is against his will, you know, taken to the place of his death. Now that's shocking, right? That is, that is a shocking image and it's a public execution of somebody and they're completely stripped of all volition. They, there's nothing left of them. It's all given over. 
And if you think about it now, the disciples have that image in their mind of how a crucifixion happens. And Jesus, radically, Jesus almost scandalously says, you see that? You see that, guys? You see the, do you see the condemned man following the Roman soldier? Do you see the whole process? Do you see how the transfer of will, the transfer of volition, the, the transfer of who's in charge of what and who's, who's in the front and who's in the back? You see that whole picture? If anyone, and this is the shocking words of Jesus, if anyone wants to be my disciple, let them take up their cross and follow me. And I've done this with my son where I say, who, which in the, you know, in the scenery of crucifixion that a disciple would have in their minds, which role on stage is Jesus taking? <laughs> Um, just based on what the disciples already have. What role is he assuming in that process? And my son said, the Roman soldier. So that's right. Jesus is assigning himself the role of the one who's in charge. And now, but yet Jesus himself is carrying a cross forward. Like he's not telling us to go where he's not going himself, but he is saying, if anyone wants to come after me, they have to go where I'm going. They have to do what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. And I'm in charge. The way that this, maybe I can connect it to what I was doing with the cross before I thought about it in this way, is, yeah. you know, in my tradition and within the framework of how Christians like us thought about salvation and the cross, we typically relegated the cross to a way of becoming, a way of getting forgiven of your sins, which it is. I mean, it is the way, the way that God brings about our reconciliation with him is through the cross, and there's plenty of scripture for that. But we tended to limit it to that image, that the cross was there to get my sins forgiven, okay? But yet that isn't how Jesus starts talking about the cross. He doesn't start talking about the cross as a means of sins forgiven. He starts talking about the cross as a means of discipleship, of following him. And so, like, I had to go through this tectonic shift where I had to move a, a lot and started thinking about the cross as a call to radical obedience, right? Because doesn't the crucified man or woman have to radically, at the roots, you know, at the core of their being, completely give themselves over to the will of this other person and go to their own death, right? I mean, that's the radical imagery of take up your cross and follow me. And I was, you know, so I had this awakening, I would say probably 12 or 13 years ago, where I said, wow, there's the cross is about more than the forgiveness of my sins. It's not about less than that, but it certainly is about more than that. It's about, in terms of discipleship, it's about radical obedience to Jesus. Yeah. Uh, wow. And, and, and lest we, you know, sometimes look at these, these scripture symbols and images and, and sort of think we're reading too much into them, you know, like... 
we have to keep in mind the scandal of the incarnation, the scandal of the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. That this is part of the whole scandal of the personal God that we have come to know and that we worship is that he decides, he doesn't have to, mm-hmm. but he decides to work through particular places and people and things. And so he, he chose to bring this about at this particular time and place, you know, with the Romans, with, with the, the image of the cross, he came to Mary, you know, he worked with the disciples. He, he, there's a scandal that, that we're, we're rightly scandalized that the almighty omnipotent God would come down and, and deal in particulars, but he does. Yes. And there is, there's a reason why the, the cross image is there. There's a reason why in, in that context that God comes to us because there's, there's so much to unpack there. And, and in that image, you know, the image of the, the, whole, the whole crucifixion as discipleship, you know, again, we, we, it's part of the nature of life that um, in some sense life crucifies us whether we're ready for it or not. Right. That's the nature of being in a fallen world. There's going to be death. There's going to be suffering. There's brokenness. But the 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 disciple is called to enter into that in a very particular way, mm-hmm. in a way that brings about redemption, a way that that unites them to Christ's sacrifice. And that's what we're talking about here. That yes. Christ is showing us a different way of relating to the situation we're, we're all in. I I saw somebody say on social media the other day. I, I can't remember what they were responding to, but their their comment was. It's not that we're trying to avoid hell. It's that we're already in hell. Yeah. Like we're yeah. in need of a savior. You know, right. like the, the, the suffering and death is part of what we experience, but Christ is, is inviting us as a, not to escape that, but to enter into it in, the, in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so if we, if we appropriate, as I think the Lord wants us to do, and as the, yeah. the, especially as the writers of, of the New Testament do when they keep talking about the cross in all these other ways, if we can appropriate the cross as our chief symbol of discipleship, um, if we can keep it there and continue to keep it before us, then it can help us with all of the things that we need to work on as disciples and followers of Jesus. I certainly need my sins forgiven all the time. Praise the Lord for the cross, you know, for the for the blood of Christ given for me on the cross. But now now step back a second and ask, okay, but what what was it that led me to do that in the first place, to, you know, to need to go to confession? What was the thing that I fell into that I stepped into and that I did that made me need that. Praise God for it. But what what did I do? Well, I did something that's not like Jesus, whatever that is. I can fill in the blank. And what I can know about myself then, if the cross is um, the image of discipleship, is that I let go of the cross. I let go of the cross in a specific way. I didn't keep to the cross and I'll say it this way, I wasn't following Jesus, so I did this instead, right? Yeah. I, let, I, I let go of my commitment to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus, and to take up my cross, and did something I wasn't supposed to do. So now, again, like I said, about 12 years ago, I started thinking about this more carefully. And I came up with a few little phrases that I would use you know, for myself and for other people. And one of the phrases was, "There's a, if, the, if the cross is God's solution to 
my problems, not just forgiveness, but the thing that made me do it in the first place, then there's a cross for everything. I would say that. So whatever specifically I'm talking about, weaknesses, brokenness, sin, habits, things like that, uh, even problems I'm having in relationships with other people. Okay, so if the cross is the image of discipleship, then there has to be a cross for, and then whatever I would, would drop in, you know, in the blank. There's a cross for blank. So that the viewer here, the friend who's watching the video can say, okay, well, I'm struggling with, and then they'll, they'll put in their blank. I would say to them, hey, there's a cross for that, right? The cross, or I would yeah. say it maybe this way, the cross is for that. So now we have to figure out how. How do we embrace the cross for each of these specific things? And I think I was telling you yesterday, I started doing something when I was working with people who'd come and talk to me. Um, as a pastor, people would come and sit in my office and they would tell me the worst things they'd ever done, said, thought, you know, the, the worst sins uh, that they had committed. I've, I've heard, I was telling my wife this two days ago, I've heard people say things to me that they've never said to another human being in their life. And I could encourage them and I could pray with them. I couldn't absolve them, but I could, I could minister them in some way. But I started doing something with people, uh, like I said, about 12 years ago. Next to my chair in my office, I kept what I was calling at the time a counselor's cross. Nobody gave me that language. I just thought, well, that's what I'm going to call this. So I got myself an empty cross, right? No crucifixes. And I set it next to my chair in my office. So a person might say to me, um, my wife and I are fighting incessantly, you know, or my husband and I are fighting incessantly. They might even say, we want to get divorced. We're done. It's over. We can't fix it. We can't be reconciled. They might say, I have had a, a, an addiction to a specific sin for X number of years, and I can't break free. They might say, I did something at work that I shouldn't have done, and if I keep doing it, I'm going to get fired. I know it. I, I, I did something to my wife I shouldn't have done, et cetera, et cetera. Just fill in the blanks with, with whatever people do. And up to that point before I started using the counselor's cross, I would I would try to use Bible verses, I would try to talk, and all those things are important, you know, try to use, um, you know, a process for helping them untangle themselves from those things, all important, wonderful uh, uh, elements of working through things. But what I started doing, and now I have a crucifix here, so what I had then wasn't a crucifix, but I, it was just an empty cross. What I would do at some point is I'd say, I want to do something with you. And I'd pick up the, the counselor's cross and I'd hand it across to them where they're sitting and say, I want you just to hold on to this for a second and just look at it. Now, as I've become a Catholic, I, I have found that we spend time in front of the cross on purpose. You know, no, um, there's prayers before the crucifix. There's things that we do, the stations of the cross where we're intentionally going in front of crosses, touching crosses, looking at crosses. Well, intuitively, as I'm trying to understand the cross more, something tells me we need to do this. We need to do this. This is a good thing. 
So I start handing this, this counselor's cross to people and saying, I want you just to look at that. I don't want you to look at me. I want you to look at that for, for as long as it takes. And then I want you to tell me what that says about what you just said to me. What does that say about what you just said to me? And often the first time people, because they were like me, they thought the cross was for forgiveness, mostly. Often they would say, well, it says that God loves me, and it says that God forgives me, and it says that God can free me uh, from the guilt of my sin. And I would say, amen, it sure does. But what does it say about what made you do it in the first place? Oh, okay. I said, let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. And that's where I'm hoping we can go, you know, in these conversations, we can talk about some specific big things. In the New Testament, even, that that Paul and other New Testament writers use, and they connect this cruciform idea to how to overcome specific things and how to work victoriously as disciples through certain things with the cross so that we can say, there is a cross for everything that I'm dealing with, uh, that I'm that I'm processing. There is a cross for every area of brokenness because discipleship is cruciform. And if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, then my life needs to be about finding the cross in each of these places and in each of these areas. Right. And if we're able to do that right, then our experience of the necessary slings and arrows of the world, you know, the, the suffering and the condemnation and the crucifixion, if we can imitate Christ in that, then he's also shown us, yes, that we are an Easter people, that the yeah. resurrection is the result. But we, we have to learn from Christ how to yes. take up that cross and and enter into it the way he did, right? Yeah, yeah, amen. And so so then... I can begin integrating, let's call it uh, not only a cruciform um, image of discipleship, but let's say a gospel-shaped understanding of discipleship, right? Because the gospel is what, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's the good news. So if the gospel is driving my life, if the cross is my image of discipleship, well, there's a there's a path there. There's a death, there's a burial, and then there's a resurrection. And so so what discipleship looks like along the way is incorporating all of those interfaces with the cross into how I'm how I'm living every day. And the nice thing about being Catholics is that we're surrounded by by crosses, you know, we're surrounded yeah. um, by that imagery. I just reflect maybe in the in the moments as uh, I'm not sure how much more time we have, but in the moments as we we come up to uh, the finish line of um, just a couple of a few days ago, my family went to um, the midnight mass at St. John the Evangelist uh, Cathedral in Boise, and the pastor nice. who who gave the homily there um, at one point in his homily he said. Here we are gathered around, you know, the, the baby Jesus, you know, in the, in the manger with the Holy Family. 
next to him on Christmas Eve and were gathered around this. But he said, this isn't the primary image that the church gives us or that God himself gives us for how we gather around Jesus. And then he motioned over his shoulder to the big crucifix hanging behind him on the the wall of, of the cathedral. And he said, that is the image that God has given us and that the church keeps yeah. before our eyes for how we are to gather around Jesus. And then he just said this little phrase that shocked me and my wife. Like we, we drove away talking about it. He said, that's the good life. And he's mm. pointing at a cross. That's the good life. Like we're thinking the good life is our achievements, our money, our career, our, our, you know, our prestige, our place, our reputation, all these things that we're, that we're, that are driving us along, right? They're saying, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. And then we go follow them out there in the world. And, and, Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. The good life is a cruciform life. It's the cross life. And, and he's giving us that image of the good life. It's why God can say, um, this is my, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Why? Because he embraces the cross and all that it means to embrace the cross as the way he identifies himself. Uh, to us and to the whole world. And no wonder, uh, Paul said, it's a stumbling block to some people. Wow, uh, yeah. that's the good life? The good life is the cruciform yeah. life? And yet it is, because again, death, burial, but what? Resurrection, <laughs> the, the renewal of our lives, the vindication of, of God's claims on us and, and, and where the gospel takes us. These other things yeah. that we're following instead of Jesus, are leading to death as well, but not to resurrection. And so this is why Paul says, if we die with him, we will be raised with him. And in another place, that we're to be conformed to a death like his. A death like his is a death of complete solidarity with God, complete obedience to God, complete trust in God, versus following God all these other things. Oh, that's good. Uh, I'm really excited for this study. You know, I think maybe the, the, the takeaway that's in my mind this week, and we're going to dig more into the different aspects, different applications. We'll dig more into the, the whole holistic symbol that we have in the cross. You know, but but even now, right, even, if, even before we dig more into that study, like we can go back to the crucifix, perhaps with a renewed uh, attentiveness, that mm -hmm. this is the primary image that the church over the years, over the centuries, uh, the tradition of the church has given us as the primary symbol that we are to look to. And again, it, it's so scriptural. I mean, we have that we have that image from Exodus of mm -hmm. it is it is in looking at the cross, it is in beholding, you know, uh, the the figure raised upon the cross that yes. we're saved. And so there's there's something even just in that that simple act, even if we don't have the rest of the context that we're going to try to fill in, even now uh, to gaze upon the cross. And to allow yeah. God to work on us by that stumbling block. I mean, it's it's supposed to be a stumbling block, 
but we allow God to to work on us by being by stumbling over that block. Yeah, yeah, Amen. And I, if I can offer a word of encouragement to anyone who might be Please watching, do. is don't don't be afraid of crucifixes. If you, if you're a Catholic, you're not. But if you, if you're somebody that um, that's wondering about this, my encouragement is to go get one. <laughs> you know, go get get a crucifix. And and if you're not ready for that yet, then go go to a Catholic parish. Go find a Catholic parish and go in there. And almost all of them that you would ever go to would have the 14 stations of the cross. Uh, I'm getting that number right, right? <laughs> the 14 Sounds about right. stations of the cross. <laughs> and just walk through those and and spend time in prayer. Uh, you know, pray in front of the crucifix in in that in that church, or go and just walk through the stations of the cross and get a a cross shaped um, view of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We're not we're not following principles per se, though our faith does bring those about. We're following the crucified, buried, and resurrected Jesus behind him we are following him with our crosses on our shoulders and so we need that image so get that image around you get it get it or get it in your view not just your mind get it get it in front of you wherever you can and go where that image is and spend time and and pray and think about the cross so another another final phrase remember i said there's a cross for everything uh, was yeah. something that I would say. Then the other thing that I, and I think I got this from someone else, and I just started saying it over and over again, I'd say, more Jesus, more cross. More Jesus, more cross. So when I knew I wasn't in the right place in my head, my heart, my actions, my relationships, or whatever, I would say, well, there's a cross for that, and I need more Jesus and more cross, because obviously... <laughs> that's lacking right now in this specific area of my life. So hopefully words that'll encourage, um, you know, listeners and viewers to, to embrace the cross, the cross of Jesus and, uh, to follow Jesus in that cruciform way. Amen. Well, thanks so much, Kenny. And thank you, uh, the viewer or listener that's joined us uh, this week. Kenny's going to be back next week. We're going to continue this study, digging deep into Christ and his cross, this cross that he invites us to take up with him. So thanks again for listening and for watching. As always, be sure to subscribe there on YouTube or on your favorite podcast app, uh, wherever you are hearing this or watching this. And as I said at, at the beginning, be sure to check out the Coming Home Network International, especially if you're someone who's thinking about becoming Catholic or you're a new Catholic. This is your network. Uh, we're your people. We're your, we're your friends. We want to walk this journey with you, uh, going deeper into Christ every day. So thanks again for listening, for watching. God bless you. We'll talk to you again next week.